0: Did I hear somebody say, praise the Lord? Lord. Did I hear somebody else say, praise the Lord? Lord. Do you love him? Has he done anything for you? Then don't be afraid to open your mouth and tell him about it. Amen. Amen. Giving honor to God, the Lord of my life. And when I say God, I'm talking about the Holy Trinity. To this great pastor, to my good friend, Reverend Pettiford. To all of God's people, it's just good to be with you this morning. Amen? Amen. Um, about 40 years ago, was a young pastor, recently graduated out of seminary, called to his first pastorate. And when he went there, he thought he was going to save the world. <laughs> he believed that there was something God could do through him that he couldn't do through anybody else. So he entered into this church, and about his first week, or second week, he got up to preach a sermon, and you know the usual thing, you know the deacons would pray, and the uh, choir would sing, and then after they sing, there was another prayer and another offering, and then he would stand up, and he was just, when he stood up and was ready to preach the gospel, There was an older church mother. Now you have to understand, in the Baptist system, older church mothers rule. (laughs) Okay? They rule. She would get up, she would start marching up and down the aisles, and she was literally had her head thrown back, and she was saying, My Redeemer! Praise him. I give him glory. The preacher didn't know whether to spit or wind his watch. Now, mind you, there had already had praise and worship. And so he thought, but wisdom told him, just keep your mouth shut. She'll eventually stop. And she did. That was one Sunday. Well, the following Sunday, she did it again. So he decided that he would first talk to the deacons and ask them to go and kind of, you know, rein her in a little bit. So he talked to the deacons and he said, please, can you rein this sister in? And the deacon said, oh, oh no, pastor, <laughs> not us. And so the pastor said, that's fine. One of you come with me, we're going to go to her home. And we're going to explain to her that we got a program we operate by and, and there's a time for praise. Well, they went by her home and she started telling what life was like for her and her family. She talked about what it was like being a black woman in the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s in Bartlesville. And how God had moved, how God had provided, how God had kept her family and allowed them to have success with very meager things, meager resources. Let me tell you, when that pastor left her house, he was so excited about what God had done, he forgot about telling her to (laughs) cut that praise down. There's some interesting things that can happen in church. I believe that church is one of the places that we find true ministry. Amen? Amen. If we look at our outline, sorry, (laughs) our scripture verses, our passage today is found in the Gospel of Mark, the third chapter, verses 1 through 6. Is it up there? Good. Another time... Jesus went into the synagogue, church, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everybody. Wow. Wow. Let me see if I can keep this in context. Somebody in here right now has got something wrong, whether it's physical or spiritual. Would you be open to Jesus coming to you right now and saying, stand up, stand up, stand up. Would you be comfortable with that? Boy, I sure wouldn't. I want to hide right there with the rest of you. But in this particular scripture, Jesus is teaching and modeling for the church what true ministry looks like. Glory be to God. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hands were completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This pericope of Scripture is a culmination of about five events. It is the climax of his conflict with what I call the religionist, teachers of the law and Pharisees. And our text teaches Jesus' impact upon the authorities and politicians. First of all, the text begins by saying, on another time, Jesus went into the synagogue. Jesus is about 30 years old when he starts his ministry, and guess what? He's still going to church. Did that ring a bell to anybody? He's 30 years old and he still goes to church. But the interesting thing about when he goes to church, Mark lets lets you know that the next thing that happened was when Jesus went to church, he saw a man with a need. One thing I like about Mark's gospel, Mark is just no thrills, no frills. It's all about Jesus. You ever notice that? Jesus did this and that happened. Jesus did this and that happened. Jesus did this and that happened. It's all about Jesus. You can tell from Mark's gospel that his focus was on Jesus. I believe ministry happens when the church's focus is on Jesus. I know some of you came today saying, Doc's going to be in that pulpit. And, Doc, I've been known to act crazy. You're right. However, I'm not the reason you ought to have come today. Glory. Somebody said so-and-so is going to be a praising and worshiping and singing, and I like that voice. But that, that can be you know, a little, little gravy, but that's not the reason you ought to have come to church. Your reason for coming to church is because you are coming to experience God. You have come to experience his power, you have come to experience his presence and his peace. Glory to God. Woo! Ministry happens when the focus is on Jesus. Now, one thing I got to say about the Pharisees. At least they had an expectation of Jesus to do something. <laughs> they had an expectation. They knew when they saw that man with a shriveled hand, Jesus is going to do something there. (sighs) Rod, do you know every time I come to your church, where do I sit? Right there. You know why? I have an expectation for you're going to do something for me. Now, I'm sorry, church. I'm very selfish. I want it all. I want everything God has because unlike some of you, I need it all. See, I need a fresh pouring of mercy. I need a fresh anointing of joy. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to help me deal with some of the mess that my past has. I need the restorative energy of that spirit that's going to come through that preacher when the word of God comes through him and comes to me. I need it. I come expecting. And guess what? When Rod hits a nerve, I speak. When I was a small boy and my mother would take me shopping, she used to keep a little belt in her purse. (laughs) And you know how boys do, they see stuff they want and they reach for it and do all kind of stuff to try to manipulate mama to get it. And so my mom started taking that belt out. You know they put my mama in jail. If If my mama's in heaven now, but let me tell you what, What she used to do to me, oh, they put her under the jail. (laughs) She takes that belt right there in front of everybody. She didn't take me in a bathroom somewhere. She spanked me right where I showed out. And this is what she used to say. If you show out, I'm going to show out. (laughs) That's how I feel about God. When God shows out, I show out. When that word hits me, and I know it's the truth, and I know that it takes a very special training to articulate truth at the level that Josh and Rod do in this pulpit. It takes incredible handling of the truth and incredible mind to process the way they process. And when that truth hits me, i got to say something. I'm wondering sometimes how some of you handle it. I do. I wonder, how do you just sit there? How can the word of God come forth as richly and as deeply as it does Sunday after Sunday? It's as if you've come to learn to spectate. It's as if there's a culture, there's a tradition there that says, well, that's not how we we do. I got news for you. One of the very problems that Jesus had. Was dealing with church folks. Excuse me? What'd you say, preacher? <laughs> Look at the text. The religionists, teachers of the law, and the Pharisees. One of the problems they had was Jesus did not respect their customs. Amen. They felt that Jesus was doing something wrong on the Sabbath because he chose, he chooses to heal. He chooses to do good. They had a problem with the fact that Jesus did not respect their traditions. Many years ago, I did a mission trip to Kenya. I went to teach at a Bible college and I had Africans from all over East Africa and when I went to preach that Sunday in their church, the, uh, I, I, I got up that morning, didn't know I was going to preach. The pastor asked me. They do that in Africa. The pastor asked me at breakfast, are you going to bring the word today? Oh, that's just fantastic. So I'm in there speaking to God, and I'm saying, God, no, no. what do I preach about? What do I say? And God says, I want you to tell them that their traditions, excuse me, truth, Trumps their traditions. Lord, uh, this is Africa, and they live by their traditions. They have traditions where women are still treated like a third or fourth class citizen. And wouldn't you know the very text I had to deal with, dealt with men's attitudes towards women, and I'm in Africa, my first time, so far away from home, anything can happen to me. (laughs) But the truth of the matter was, when you get to the point that you've taken your traditions and your culture and you've intertwined them, and then you take the gospel and you're trying to intertwine the gospel into that, you are already in trouble. Because God's word stands alone. Your culture, your customs, all of the stuff you're comfortable with are supposed to submit to what the word of God has to say to you. But like anything else, whenever you are doing ministry, you are going to have to deal with antagonism. Shortly at my uh, ordination, there were about seven or eight preachers in Denver who came to pray for me and send me off. And they were laying hands on me, and and each one of them had a time of talking. And every single one of them told me about The battles I was getting ready to go into. And I can remember saying, well, that's not true. That's not possible. Because these are church folk. Church folk are good people. They go to church every Sunday. Now They're good folk. I had no idea. I had no idea from the day I walked into that pastorate. I was battling traditions. Every single week. I was always doing something wrong. <laughs> I, I look back now and I'm thinking, but what made you think it would be any other way? Where did you get this expectation that folk, church folk won't love you? If they didn't love Jesus, hello, and he was the truth. Somewhere in scripture says if they'll burn up, a dry, right? what will they do to, I mean, if they burn up a green bush, what will they do to a dry? Meaning that you ought to expect the exact kind of treatment that Jesus got because just as you fellowship with his joy and his victory, you also fellowship with and share in his sufferings, especially for righteousness. The hard part to accept is antagonism often comes from church to people. People who have enculturated their traditions so strongly that they even reject the word of the Lord. But Jesus stays focused because ministry is focusing on meeting people's needs. Amen. Every person in here has one of two needs right now. You either have a physical infirmity or a spiritual infirmity. Every one of you. Every one of you have challenges right this instant in your lives. And God has set up a place where we all come collectively in community for those needs to be met. The idea is, do you have an expectation and are you willing to obediently do what the word of God says to do that you might receive it. Bear in mind, when Jesus calls this man out, he could have said, oh, not me. Not me. Not, 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 not me. I'm not going to disrupt the services. Or he could have said this when Jesus says, raise up that shriveled hand. He gonna say, are you kidding me? This thing is paralyzed. This thing is shriveled up. I can't raise this hand. But see, when he obediently does what Jesus called him to do, he just acted in obedience. Glory be to God. And when he did what was obedient, when he followed what God said, there was restoration. There was healing. How many times do God's people suffer and God is right there saying, if you just trust me with that, If you trust me with that failing marriage, if you trust me that you do the best you, you do the best man, you be a godly, biblical man, I'll heal. I'll heal. You be a wife that honors and treasures that man and respects him, I'll heal. You raise those children up in the admonition of the Lord, I'll heal. You be the best employee that you can be. I'll heal. Just do what I've called you to do. I've called you to be a model, a conduit of my presence, my power, and my spirit. Glory be to God. But there's always that opposition. In our text, Jesus teaches me something. He taught me to turn opposition into opportunity. Turn opposition into opportunity. Years ago, I was teaching Bible study, teaching on sex, of all things. And um, our jail ministry was really meeting a lot of needs in jail. And this one particular brother got out and he brought his family to our Wednesday night. And I remembered when he came up, I noticed that of course, he set kind of away from everybody else. And all oh, right, it just broke my heart. They didn't come and embrace him because everybody knew. So I motioned with my wife, and she, of course, went over and met his wife and sat next to him. And then after teaching, I went to him and I talked to him, and I, I wanted to get, develop some sort of relationship. But I could tell that wherever I went with him, the rest of the fellowship kind of fell back. So I'm dreaming with our landlord, dreaming with other brothers. You know what we need? We need to have a ministry that restores men who are coming out of incarceration. We need to do that. We as a church need to embrace them because they're the very people God sent us to minister to. They're the very people. They're the target group. The church leaders, the church elders said, "Uh uh-uh, they're not our target group. That's not what we want to do. So that became an opportunity to go outside of the church and evolve the Nehemiah house. Turning turning opposition into opportunity means that when you're doing ministry, of course Satan's going to raise his ugly head. But your job is to stay focused on Jesus. Stay focused on what God called you to do, and believe it or not, God's word will never return void, and he will melt hearts, he will change minds, you just stay focused. In the text, the Bible says as Jesus looks out, among them, he felt anger. That word deeply distressed in the Greek literally means that he felt empathy For people who were hurting themselves by their obstinate disbelief. Wow. Normally when I get angry, I'm angry about you. I'm angry about your person. But that's not the Jesus. Jesus got angry because, hey, they're hurting themselves because they are against me. They don't know that I'm the focus of ministry. I am the truth. And I've always believed this. If you trust in anything that's not truth and that truth be in Jesus, it will lead to tragedy. Trust without truth leads to tragedy. The goal of learning to become a disciple is to learn that in every situation you are faced with, God's word has spoken to it. So you have to speak what God speaks. You have to walk the way God shows and you have to act the way that word moves you to act in a way that brings glory to God. Oppositions are to be met with self-control. Lastly, true religion is restoring people to wholeness. That's the goal, folks. Seeing people who are broken. I had dinner last night with a brother and I was sharing with him about helping him in his brokenness. He said, I'm not broken. I said, okay. Uh, you're not broken. Okay. He says, no, I was broken. Okay. And I tried to share with him, you know, if I brought up here a tube of toothpaste and you squeezed it, what's going to come out? Anybody. Uh Uh-uh. Whatever is inside. That's the way it is with brokenness. When the pressures of life go to working on you whatever was your addiction whatever was your brokenness when them pressures mount up what's inside of you now starts to come out glory be to god well the power of god is what breaks that cycle the word of god focused the word of god eaten the word of god internalized the word of god acted on Breaks that so that what comes out of you now are the fruits of the Spirit and not that other kind of action that does nothing more but make you feel like nothing really happened between you and God. Wow. True religion is restoring people to wholeness. But understand something. When that is happening, there will always be haters. Always. There will always be haters. I had to learn early in pastoring. I used to go to God crying, how do I say it better? Well, first they said you use too many big words. Okay. So I get a thesaurus and learn how to break the big words down to little words. Okay, now what's next? Well, now they say that uh, you're you're, you're too conservative. What does that mean? Then they said, now he's not conservative anymore. Now we think he's gotten a little bit charismatic. Now what does that mean? I was growing in my relationship with God, and I was evolving I was learning to let go of the controls and trust the control of the Holy Spirit. Even in church, I was being free. I was no longer bound by the customs and the traditions. I was being free. And subsequently, I was trying to train and teach others to be free in Christ. The word of God says, those who the son sets free are free indeed. God has come to bring you freedom, not restriction. I'm glad when I was in trouble that Jesus saw me and told me, stretch out your hand. I'm glad. I'm glad when the haters, those that saw me go through rough times and saying, I knew it, I knew it, I just knew it, the haters, I'm glad That didn't stop Jesus. But I'm also glad that I never became one of those kind of believers that could look at another brother or sister who's broken and see them as if they're not worthy of the same grace and mercy God gave me. What would I like for you to take out of today's word? Well, just a couple of things. I like Rod. Rod says takeaways. I like that. Always attend church with the expectation of God to move in your life. Don't ever come to church just to spectate. You've come to experience God. Whoa, whoa, preacher, I experienced God back in 1920 when I got baptized. No. Experiencing God is a day-to-day renewal. Did you know that? The word says his mercies are new every day. Guess what? Every day you are to experience him. And it's not like he's stingy with it. All you got to do is knock on the door, he'll answer. All you got to do is open your heart, he'll come in, too. Give him praise and thanks for his mercy, kindness, and grace. Stop being secret agent Christians. Stop having that mouth that won't open and give him its due praise. I know, somebody's out there saying, that's not me. I... I don't do that. Let me tell you something. I came, I was educated in a conservative as an evangelical. But through the experience of pastoring, God freed me. And one of the things I learned how to do was praise. I can remember going to a conference and asking those older brothers, what do I do about that sister Ponder? She gets just shouting up all over the place. And those brothers said, well, you have to sit her down. Another brother said, brother, have you ever read the Psalms? Just read the Psalms. And what do you see all throughout that Psalms? Praise. They go through tough times. But at the end of it, he's going to come back around and praise his God. He experiences the joy of the Lord. He experiences the peace of the Lord. In the midst of opposition, somewhere in Isaiah, it says that through the furnace of opposition, I would give you joy. Glory be to God. Stay open for God to do new thing in your life and the lives of others. God desires to do a new thing. Life with God don't get old. It's always fresh and new. And always remember, opposition means God is moving. And lastly, faith trumps our traditions. Father, thank you for this time of sharing. Thank you for this great man that's permitted me an opportunity to share this pulpit. Father, continue to pour your spirit out on our ministry. Open minds that are closed. Open voices that are afraid to praise. Open eyes that need to see. Heal both the physical and the spiritual infirmities and give us a day-to-day renewal and fresh anointing and fresh experience with you that we would not just know you cognitively, but we would know you experientially as well. To your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. You were great, by the way. Thank